Thank you, Laurel. Thank you, Jake. And I'd like to thank everyone, and particularly the staff and volunteers who worked hard to make this night a reality. And to the crew that made the food, thank you so much. I hope everyone got your fill, and if you didn't, it's your own fault. Uh, I need to introduce uh, Logan Gurr. Logan, raise your hand. Uh, I have appointed Logan to be the recorder uh, and take the minutes of tonight's meeting. Thank you. He did have a partner in crime, but Lauren Boyd is tested positive for COVID, so keep her in your prayers here this evening. Uh, so you might have noticed, for those of you who have been coming to uh, annual meetings for a while, I'm looking at Norm Moore, uh, who's, how many is this for you? Uh, but uh, there's a little difference this year. For me, According to the uh, church bylaws, in the absence of a rector, as senior warden, I am required to run this meeting as God had other plans for Chris Warner. Um, but God knows what we need every day. And in this time of transition, I am thankful that in his infinite wisdom, God had Bishop Edgar recommend the very Reverend Paul Feener come and take on the interim rector role. The vestry unanimously agreed with the bishop's recommendation, and as an added bonus, we also get his wife, Becky. <laughs> we're very thankful they were able to come, and I know the staff is thankful for their presence. Uh, I'll ask them to come on up here. I know they're in here. Uh, as they do, let me give you a little explanation. For those of you new to the Anglican faith, uh, by diocese canon and law, bylaws, interim rectors are not given ecclesiastical authority uh, as a, over a church in transition between rectors. The vestry retains that authority until we, with the bishop's blessing, call a new rector. In the meantime, Paul, as the interim uh, rector, takes on the pastoral role for all of us and oversees the day-to-day -day happenings of the church, staff, and clergy. He is also acting as an advisor for the search committee. I'm one of his biggest fans for all he's taken on. Um, but I'm also a big fan of the man he is and I'm thankful for him to be here. They've been with us for a little over a month now, uh, and I wanted them to us to be able to welcome them again and offer them an opportunity to share a little bit of their testimony so we can get to know them better. Uh, so please join me in welcoming Paul and Becky. You'd rather I did this? This, okay. I got it. <laughs> Throw me a curveball right at the last minute. Okay, yes. Darren's very kind. Um, what he, well, he's glad I'm here, but I'm delighted to, to be serving really as, um, and Becky and I both are with uh, Darren, 
is ahead in the sense of ecclesiastical authority. Um, and he's right, the interim rector. What I can't do or won't do is hire and fire, okay? Um, that's basically, I do have some oversight and staff and other things, but the, uh, the vestry and Darren, we are a team uh, in, in those things, and I'm glad to be on the team. So, uh, Becky and I are going to share a brief word of testimony. Darren originally set up five minutes in the schedule for this and then expanded it to 15, as far as I knew, just at the last minute. We're going to be short of 15, well short, I think. Um, yeah, and you can thank God for that, too. Uh, but you do need to know a little bit about the interim rector and his wife. Uh, good to know that, that we're, you know, you, you want to know if the person being called in to be the interim rector is a pagan or a Buddhist or, you know, a Muslim or something. So we're going to try to set you at ease about that. Uh, my background, my resume, so to speak, is on the website, and you can read that if you want. Uh, my educational and work experience, my Rhodes Scholarship, my Nobel Prize. Those are... <laughs> Why are you laughing? Okay. I would just add to that, first of all, and this, the song that we just sang is one of our favorites, uh, because the Lord has been so faithful to us uh, for so many years. And I, I can look back... Even before I knew him, um, I can look back and see his love and his hand in everything, uh, really from birth and from way before I even knew him. And so I've got some examples of that. And Kendall's sermon at Daniel Island last week, if you've heard it, if you haven't, you should listen online. Um, it's a great sermon about uh, remembering. Uh, and and test, that's what testimony is. It's remembering what the Lord has done in our lives. And so I had that opportunity to go back and remember it. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, uh, but I was raised in a Baptist church that was a liberal Baptist, and I was baptized at age 12, and frankly, the next day I thought it didn't take. Um, <laughs> I was the same kid, um, and that surprised me a little bit. Um, I didn't get it. I don't think I knew the gospel. I think I, I must have said something that allowed the minister to baptize me, but I didn't, didn't know what was going on. I had a very vague relationship with the Lord, essentially, if I had one at all. But looking back, I, you know, we say in our baptismal service, you are marked as Christ's own forever. And I think that I was marked. I, don't, I wasn't born again. But when I look back, <laughs> I could just see his hand protecting me and guiding me. Every time I did something far off track, you know, like kids do, uh, did something bad, um, I got caught, you know? It was just the Lord. Uh, it was good. He guided me. I went through college. Becky and I went through college at the height of the sexual revolution, the 60s, late 60s, and early 70s, and I just didn't get caught up in that. It wasn't for lack of desire. It just didn't happen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm too blunt, aren't I? Yeah, there you go. Uh, and marijuana, you know? Yeah, did I try it? Yes. Did I inhale? Yes. Did I like it? I did, but I didn't get into it, you know? I just maybe... What happened was I met Becky right about then. Becky said none of that. In Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we were, it was a $5 fine if you were in possession of an ounce or less. So that'll give you an idea where we went to school. So I didn't get into that, and it wasn't by choice. I had a swim coach who taught me about hard work. 
he had a saying, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. If he had a side ache or something, he'd say, get in the pool. I went in the army, and that taught me to own my mistakes and not to make excuses and just to do better next time. All those things, I, I didn't know the Lord. I didn't, okay, so I felt like he was watching over me. And another thing he did is he brought Becky and I together. University of Michigan, we met, and we were friends the first six months. She lived across the hall in an apartment building and just kind of hung out. And then we had a, finally we went on a date, and uh, we discovered in talking that we had fallen in love with each other. We decided to get married on that date. For our first date, we got engaged. So there you go. <laughs> 1970, that was. And that was a God thing. Clearly, uh, it was a God thing. Drafted, okay, served in the Army. Everybody in my MP class went straight to Vietnam except me, and I was stationed in the States. I thought, looking back, the Lord preserved me. And the law firm I joined in 75 was a godly place, good people. Good people, family people, Midwest types. Sorry, you Southerners. But this is all without my having a prayer life or acknowledging the Lord or anything. Christian life started, well, we went to college, uh, and Becky went to church sometimes during college, and I think I went with her once or twice. She had more of a relationship with the Lord, me not so much. And then we went more often, but sporadically when the kids were born. In 76 and 78, our children were born, and we wanted them to know something about the church. <laughs> we didn't know anything else to tell them, so there we go. My focus at that time was law practice, making partner in a firm. That was my first priority. Family came second. I worked hard. I traveled a lot, and I think our marriage suffered a bit, maybe more than a bit. The big event came after Paul was born in 1978. Becky bled profusely after childbirth and almost died, very close. Should have died, actually, medically speaking. And so I have this vivid memory. I'm sitting in a hallway, Georgetown University Hospital, and down the hall there's the operating room, and across from that there's a blood bank, and I see the nurses running out of the operating room. That's not a good sign. Covered with blood, and they go back across the hall with rubbing something in their hands. It's units of blood. She got a complete oil change that day, I think, 22, 22 units. Yeah. And um, the doctor finally came out and said, we're losing her. She's bleeding faster than we can... We can't find the source of it. Do we have your permission to do a hysterectomy? And I said, of course. And I uh, sat there and I prayed for the first time as an adult human being. <laughs> and I said something profound. God, would you please save my wife if you're there? <laughs> and um, I made a bargain. I call it my plea bargain. Um, I said, well, I, and I will try to know you better and live differently. And Becky lived and uh, by the grace of God. And we started looking for a church. And um, we really entered midlife uh, at that point because our childbearing years were over at age 28. And we started thinking, what's, what's it all about? Does life have a meaning? Is there a God and does he have a purpose for us and what's going on? We started looking for a church and uh, we didn't know how much we didn't know. I understood the gospel for the first time uh, right after that, not long after that, we were lying in bed, and I'm reading a book. It was J.B. Phillips' translation of the New Testament. He's got an introduction to each of the books of the New Testament, and the introduction to Romans, it's about this long, it's two paragraphs. 
and he explains the gospel. He talks about the law, God's holy and perfect and righteous, he can't stand sin, we're sinners, uh, we can't keep his law, we're not able, and he knew that from the beginning, he planned a different way for us to be counted as righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, and the light went on. All of a sudden, I got it in a flash, and I, I remember, do you? Uh, <laughs> I kind of nudged her, she was half asleep, and I said, have you ever heard this? And I read it to her, and she said, no, I never heard that. We'd never heard it, or if we had, we hadn't read At any rate, uh, okay, you'd think we were converted that night, but we weren't, uh, we, we believed, I mean, we thought this makes a lot of sense, but by the grace of God, we were led uh, to a church, a Fairfax, Virginia, Truro Episcopal, uh, to, on a Sunday morning, and we were frankly just overwhelmed. Now, part of this was the fact that it was the Sunday after Pledge Sunday, and the prior we, we got a report from the rector that the prior Sunday these people had pledged two and a half million dollars toward the budget of the church. This is 1982. That's a lot of money. And Becky and I looked around, looked at each other, and thought, "What's gotten into these people?" <laughs> I mean, really, we were just. It was stunning to us. They all looked like us. You know, they were dressed for church and looked like regular adults. But anyway, we figured out something's happening. We signed up for something. Oh, and the liturgy and the sermon, everything just was stunning to us. We signed up for the Life in the Spirit Seminar. Anybody know the Life in the Spirit Seminar? It's an introduction. Hmm? Yeah, so it was Roman Catholic, the Episcopalians had adopted it. You learned about Jesus, you learned about the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the fruit of the Spirit, and we uh, studied our Bible and listened and we bought the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker. Just, yeah, exactly. God was good. We just, we just were ripe and uh, the timing was perfect. And the night that we were in church, we prayed the last night to receive the Holy Spirit and be uh, receive Christ, but to also be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I felt the Lord uh, speak to me that night, uh, first time. And um, he, came, he came with a question. Does God do that with any of you? Uh, I hear this question, and I realize it's not my question. I'd never ask a question like that. And it, it was this kind of a Jewish accent. And he says, uh, <laughs> seriously, seriously, he said, so, uh, so you're giving me everything. And I thought for a second, I thought, yeah, I guess I am. Second question, <laughs> even your law practice. So at that point, I'd spent the last seven years working to become a partner. I was on the edge of that, and I kind of, I smiled, and I started to cry. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I guess so. If you want it, you can have it. And why was I teary? Well, because he knew me. The God of the universe knew who I was. And he knew what my struggle was. He knew what my idol was. He, and he loved me. And he spoke to me. It was just totally overwhelming. I got up, and I knew I wasn't going to be a lawyer the rest of my life. And I mentioned that to Becky, and she kind of thought the same thing uh, that evening. And um, she was thinking ordained ministry. And that thought never crossed my mind. At any rate, <laughs> we, uh, what we did is we went... Um, we, we didn't jump right in, uh, well, we jumped right into the church. We started doing everything. We did a Sunday school class together that you can imagine. I didn't know anything, but I got second graders. Okay, so <laughs> they knew more than I did. Um, and uh, 
we uh, got active in just everything that was available. We, we uh, went to a home group. They called them home groups, life group, you'd call it. And uh, I'm looking for my third page. Sorry. We, uh, yeah, here it is. We, we listened to every Bible tape we could find, uh, Bible study tape, John Howe, Terry Fulham, Francis McNutt, John Wimber, and dozens of others. We eventually led a, co-led a, a home group with another couple, led, led a home group. We learned worship, and I learned to play the piano again and uh, worship songs. We got involved in healing ministry and uh, financial uh, ministry. Becky was good with numbers and was teaching uh, people how to manage their budgets and inner healing prayer. It was all discipleship training. I didn't know it at the time. didn't occur to me what was going on. Uh, and uh, we had a prophet come and, uh, to our home group, and she prophesied over us, and she said, don't you pick the time. She said, you called to ordain ministry. Don't talk, pick the time. I'll pick the time, says the Lord. So we waited, and we waited 10 years. Um, and during that time, uh, we served in the church, and I learned a ton. Um, went to seminary then. Finally, at 10, age 44, the call came, and I resigned from the law firm and went to seminary. And uh, since then, it's been, uh, well, seminary was tough. It was a breaking period. My self-worth, it turned out, was caught up in being a law partner, a lot more than I thought it was. And uh, so I used to have this expression, every time I tried to get off the fl up off the floor, God would step on my neck. That's what seminary felt like, which was good. I needed the breaking, and then I... Served in a church up there for four years as an assistant rector, more breaking and humbling. And I learned a ton about uh, churches and being a minister. I went then to be rector at St. Steve at uh, Prince George Winyaw in Georgetown in 2000 at age 49, I guess, and stayed there for 16 and a half years. And I came in humble. Um, I'd never been a rector. I'd preached maybe six times in the last four years. Um, I didn't know much about preaching. And by the grace of God, I also knew that I, ministry wasn't just about me. In fact, it wasn't mostly about me and what I was going to do. It was rather about what the Lord was going to do in me. Maybe you've experienced that. It's how he's going to change your heart when you get into ministry. And that's what happened. And... Um, by the grace of God, the church prospered while we were there, and it was all by his grace, some of the best years of our lives and some of the hardest, I would say. And then I decided to retire at age 67, sat all around, and retirement was tough. We didn't have anything to do on Sunday morning. It was awful. We didn't have a church home for the first time in 37 years. We didn't have a place that was ours, and uh, we went to a lot of churches. And then the bishop called and asked me about interim work, and I said, what's that? And uh, Darren gave the best explanation I've ever heard of it. Um, but at any rate, I said yes, because we were desperate for a church home. And anyway, that started uh, this series that we've been in. This is the sixth interim position I've had since I retired. As somebody said, you're terrible at retirement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. Uh, things have changed a bit. I'm now pushing 74 and uh, not what I used to be mentally or any other way. But at any rate, here we are uh, to serve. I could go on for hours about his faithfulness and his provision, but the song said it all tonight. Uh, for all my life, he's been faithful. So I've got to stop and let Becky share some thoughts.
Where are we? We're probably way over. I'm sorry. I'm shorter. <laughs> um, music has always been special and important in our lives, so I kind of wanted to start with so mention some songs. The talk would be Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is what Paul talked about. Um, but the, the Lord has been faithful to um, give me everything I needed to move closer to him, and that means to be dependent on him and to be lost without him. And time is that time has included good things and bad things and ugly things and beautiful things, and a lot of those things were inside myself, not just in the circumstances. Um, I just want to say, people say, where are you from? Um, my parents were from down in this area, and my, but when we, I was seven, we moved to Michigan. So in Michigan, we were Southerners, and we stayed there till I was 22. So I spent 15 years in Michigan at all of my schooling. So there I was a Southerner, but now that I'm back, I'm a Yankee, so I'm never from anywhere, um, which I think is interesting. Um, I was raised Presbyterian, and for whatever the reason, I think they were deist, but I knew God was real, but I had never heard the gospel. I never heard. And Thus, I had no framework to make sense of the world or of yourself, and it's a very strange place um, to not know what's wrong. You know, the, it's a world fallen, and if you've got some common sense, you're noticing. You're fallen, and it's fallen, but what is going on? Um, and Henry Cloud, he's a Christian psychologist who wrote the Boundaries book, he said one time on a tape on anxiety, the world is big and you're small, do the math. You ought to be anxious, because if you don't have somebody to depend on by yourself, it's a, it's a frightening world. So I was, what I was like as a child was frightened and shy. I get homesick, afraid to wait for, wait for my parents, trouble going to school now. Of course, we just move from place to place to place. But um, I kind of turned to food for comfort, to comfort myself, and I turned to order, very orderly, for a sense of control, I think. I turned to reading to escape, and I turned to performing to feel loved. I'll do everything right. Um, so from 1949 to 1982, I call that Ecclesiastes. It was all meaningless and nothing worked. Um, <laughs> but the Bible says in Psalm 19:14, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the world, earth, the words to the ends of the world. For since, in Romans, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so men are without excuse. And I said God was faithful, and he, his grace let me know him that way. And so even as I struggled with a relationship, I had a relationship with God, and I felt that it was personal, and that he, in, by his grace, I talked to him, I prayed, I knew he was there. I also knew, I don't know why, that the Bible was the word of God. I don't know why, I never questioned that. Actually, Paul didn't either. Um, so as Paul said, fast forward to I'm bleeding, okay? And I'm not actually born again, but as they were careening me to the emergency surgery, I had perfect peace. I just said the 23rd Psalm. You know, I had the Bible memories. I knew the Ten Commandments. I, I had somewhere in second grade a Bible, t a Sunday school teacher in that Presbyterian church who had me memorize things. 100th Psalm, <clears throat> 23rd Psalm, and I said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
and I knew whether I lived or died, but I kind of came to in the middle of the surgery, and I knew I was dying, and I, there I am, a nurse, I had a two-week-old and a two-year-old, and I was a nursing mother, and my breaths were, I was thinking, I think I should go back and help Paul raise these two babies. So I, I lived. She had an out-of-body, you know, experience. Really, she and she I was knew, above herself looking down. And, and I knew that that down. way was better. I knew that way was warmth and light and whatever, but I came back. So on March 13, 1982, we went to that life in the spirit. I gave my life to Jesus was cleansed from my sin and born again and had an experience with the Holy Spirit that many would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then from then on, I said, morning by morning, new mercies I see. There were a lot of hard years and tough times. My mom had cancer. Around Hugo time, my dad had Alzheimer's. Um, our daughter was rebellious. Paul's mother was having strokes. Um, but at the same time, in all the circumstances, I saw the mercy and the miracles happen. It didn't change the circumstances. Um, but the next phase, I'd say, was the next song was, Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. Take me deeper into you. The whole performing and the doing everything I'm supposed to do, I just had to let go of that. Um, Amy Grant saying one, being good is just a fable. I just can't because I'm not able. I'm going to leave it to the Lord. And as Paul's dean of the seminary said one time, John Rogers, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly because if you wait to do it right, no one will do anything because nothing's perfect, especially if you're a rector and you're juggling all of those balls. Um, or a senior warden. Or a senior warden. <laughs> um, so we retired, and um, we first did All Saints Florence, and then we went to St. John's. But then my daughter, who was divorced, and she had a um, four-year-old and a two-year-old little boy, or three and one when she got divorced. Um, the one-year-old had a pituitary tumor, but they were able to remove it, and he did not go blind. And she, so all of his hormones were external, either shot or oral. But when he was seven, for some reason, he threw up and everything went off balance and he drank water, went to bed, but he had seizures all night long. And um, in the morning, she took him to the hospital and he kept seizing and he was um, severely brain damaged and uh, bl blindness, but not your eyes work, but your brain can't tell you what you're seeing. Um, and so we spent seven months in Portland, Oregon, living in a hide-a-bed in my daughter's basement while he was in the hospital, and then rehab. Um, and it's forever, you know, the child that you knew. But the good thing, all the miracles are there. He can see. He can eat. He can walk. He's in rehab, and we have him in diapers, and he's going, oh, I'm saying, oh, I'm saying, I said, are you saying bathroom? He said, uh -huh. I said, he wants, he's in diapers. We've got him in diapers. He wants to go to the potty. So he goes to the potty. He can walk around the house. He goes to school. So once he got to school, we hated to leave her. Her husband is not kind to her, so it's hard. Um, and Bishop Lawrence, who knew, I mean, he's pastoral to his priests. He knew the situation, and he called and asked if Paul would be the interim in Myrtle Beach. And so we arrived at the first two interims, having no church home, missing our parish, and they ministered to us. And then we went to Myrtle Beach and Sumter and Conway for a summer and here because we still need the body of people and to belong somewhere and to love people and uh, 
So during that time, the song was, it was uh, Hillsong, in the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. So I yield myself into your perfect hands. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, and all I have given thee. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. And then God has answered our prayers. Um, one thing I prayed when I knew he was going to seminary, that I wouldn't, I hate to lose people. I like people. If I know you, I don't want to lose you. And all of these churches that we've been in, including my son married a girl from Pittsburgh, we can go visit anytime. And I don't have to, like, just say goodbye to people. So, And so the um, song that I was going to end with was... Um, I love you, Lord, for your mercies never fail me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Thank you. I'm back here. <laughs> Becky, you can't get away from me yet. Oh, I know. Please come on over here. Would you all join me? I'm going to give a little prayer over Paul and Becky. Heavenly Father, thank you for your servants, Paul and Becky. Thank you for their gifts of leadership and their servant hearts. Thank you for calling them to serve our church in this time of transition. I ask that their time with us uh, blesses you, blesses this congregation, and most importantly, blesses them. In Jesus' name, amen. And you put us right back on time. Thank you, Paul. So this morning... I was trying to discern what God wanted me to say today. Uh, but I was also reminded of Kendall's sermon uh, and this talk, the importance of stones of remembrance and how important they were to the Israeli nation. The story, uh, when the wandering tribes miraculously crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land, Joshua, at the Lord's command, had them pull 12 stones out of the dried river bed and build a pillar. Joshua then charged them to look at those stones, and every time they saw them, to remember what God had done for them and to teach their children what the stones signified. Annual meetings, annual reports are similar opportunities for us. There are opportunities for us to remember together all God has done for this body. At last year's annual meeting, Chris relayed that he wanted us to know that God wanted us to abound in every good work. And throughout the coming year, when you look at the photos and stories in the report you will get later, you can remember how God is with us in this time of transition how God's grace abounded and how we abounded in every good work. 
as I look at the data gathered and the people impacted, I was struck by how God used us and how, as a body, we did abound in every good work. As we did our best to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Later on tonight, when you get the reports, you'll see highlights of some of these events. As I speak, there'll be pictures up for those of you who need pictures, uh, and they'll be going on. Uh, I'm one of them, I'd be watching that instead of me right now. Uh, I can only hope to mention a few of the items that you see as they go by. For those of you who want to know and want to know some of the key numbers, yes, we made budget. Yes, we had 15 new members, nine confirmations, three marriages, and 16 baptisms. Co-mission weekend raised approximately $24,000 for our international mission fund. We helped welcome a Congolese family into the community and provided them with the necessities to make a new life. You'll read in the report about the Honduras mission trip that supported the Lamb Institute. The lives impacted were not only those orphans and children in Honduras, but the members of the mission trip who went. So if you feel God calling you to go a mission trip, uh, we tentatively have two opportunities this summer to go back to Honduras, the last week of June and the first week of July. Each trip can have about 15 people, and Sue, you didn't tell me who to have them contact, so I'm going to have them contact Sue Cuthbert. Uh, <laughs> if you're interested. Speaking of LAM, uh, through our Kingdom Building Fund, we donated $10,000 to help build a multi-purpose space on campus at the children's home that will allow LAM Institute to train maturing youth in trades and skills. We also donated Kingdom Building Funds to help make a new security wall around an Ang Anglican school in India, as well as provided funds that will pay for salaries of teaching staff and priests. We sent a small mission team to Pakistan that met with Pakistani church planters and pastors. The DI campus continued to support a neighborhood low-income housing complex with food distribution, cookouts, a Christmas meal, and a back-to-school shoe drive where we gave 35 new sets of schools or shoes excuse me, uh, to needy kids. As a whole, Holy Cross made 17 food distributions to Echo and other food pantries. Norm uh, Brahan reinvigorated the men's ministry and with a large group of volunteers led a highly successful men's conference that impacted the lives of the men who went and their families. The men's ministry also hosted the annual turkey fry and over 40 people braved a cold Charleston day and they, as they made 75 turkeys for those less fortunate. Jeff Messick and Alfred Connolly abounded in God's love as they led efforts to help a, a long-term member uh, Glenn Avenger, fix his home and make it livable again. Laura Bowman not only was ordained as a priest this past year, but we brought her on to lead our new primetime ministry that celebrates the vital part the members of our body who are over the age of 60 play in our congregation. Deacon Ed Dykeman led two 14-week sessions of grief share, each one on, one on each campus, and 20 people graduated from those seminars, and it helps people heal from the loss of a loved one, of a death. We held alpha classes to deepen members' understanding. There were numerous life groups that happened. 
Kendall Harmon led a Theology on Tap seminar, and still leading it, uh, that started last fall. And it continues this spring and allows people to ask tough questions on faith, and it's held at a local brewery. We did abound in 2022, and we need to continue to abound in 23. I also feel that God wants us to abide with him. As I mentioned, and Carl, thank you for that prayer. No, we did not coordinate. Um, this verse in John 15, which Jesus tells his disciple that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We all feel like we've been pruned with all the staff and clergy departures over the past years. But I'm excited to wonder at what new fruit God wants us to bear. In John 15, Jesus goes on to say, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. To me, abide is one of those church words. When I think of it, I think of sitting on a porch with your closest friend, sipping tea, and just being present in the moment. You're not worried about anything, nor thinking about anyone or anything else. You're just present with that person in that moment. Just being there. That's abiding. Now, it's easy to think that you're always on the porch with that friend when you abide. But that's not what it means. He wants us to be at peace in that sense of being present. But it's no matter what is going on around us or what situation God allows us to be in. As it says in the book of Isaiah, he'll bring his perfect peace to those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in him. So whether you're dealing with that difficult situation at work or at home or that bad employee or that bad boss, abiding with Christ means you're present with God, letting him lead you. In the same way, in this time of transition to Holy Cross, we must abide with him. We must stay with him. We must be present with him and listen to where he is leading. Not acting out of emotions of fear or jealousy or anger or loss, but following wherever he leads out of the spirit of love. Personally, when I start feeling stressed or overwhelmed, it's my wake-up call that I'm trying to do it on my own and not abiding with him. So I'd ask that for this year, when you start feeling overwhelmed, stressed, wondering what the future holds, have questions, get anxious about who the new rector is going to be, what does the DI launch look like, what's going to happen to my church family, you're not abiding with Christ. He's got this. Just abide with Jesus and allow God's amazing grace, mercy, and love to abound in you as you abound in every good work. I mentioned abiding as Avestia and I recognize there are a lot of changes and a lot of unknowns going on in the church right now as God positions Holy Cross to bear more fruit and prepare for our new rector as we prepare to launch the Daniel Island campus. The Vestry and I want to continue to provide updates on the status of these committees. So I've asked the DI Launch Committee and the new Rector Search Committee to provide you updates on the processes for you tonight. First, Jonathan, 
uh, you're going to be up. Uh, the campus pastor, Jonathan Bennett, the campus pastor of Daniel Island, he's going to come tell you how the vestry and clergy decided now is the right time to begin planning to launch the DI campus and to offer an update on the status of the launch committee. Thanks, Darren. First of all, again, to say what great hands we're in with Paul and Darren. <laughs> I give them a round of applause again. Thank you so much. We are so blessed. So there's a growing phenomenon in our culture, heightened by the COVID pandemic, and it's that children are not leaving home, or children moving back into their parents' home at some stage, often after college. In fact, an article published in December 2022 revealed that approximately half of all young adults in the US, ages 18 to 29, now live with their parents. Most of them are citing economic reasons for doing this, including a desire to save money, 51%, and an inability to afford rent. Not surprising, is it? 39%, which actually this can be a very good thing, setting them up for financial success and stability when they leave. However, what if the kids never leave and they don't want to. <laughs> you know, over the last decade or two, a term has been coined that has been called failure to launch syndrome, which is a common way to describe a young adult who is struggling with the transition to adulthood. And it can be defined as an inability to leave home and support oneself regardless of the underlying cause. This syndrome has become so common, even Hollywood has made a movie about it called Failure to Launch, starring my wife's favorite, the incredibly handsome and charming Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Thank goodness he doesn't have a British accent as well. Then I'd be in trouble. <clears throat> Oh, that's what Jude Law's for, she said. Uh, <laughs> now I know the truth. <clears throat> McConaughey plays a 35-year-old professional layabout, happy to stay at home where he's waited on hand and foot by the increasingly concerned and frustrated mom, Sue, who eventually hires a character played by Je Jennifer Aniston to use her feminine wiles to lever him out or lever him out of the family home. It's Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> now why do I... <laughs> What's that? Jude Law would have got that right. Thank you, Johnny. Or Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> now why do I tell you all of this? Well, as I reflect on the history of the Holy Cross Daniel Island campus, I'm aware that there's always been a danger that we would fail to launch and suffer the stunted growth that comes with such a failure. To give you a little history, I was here, this campus, working as the senior youth pastor at Holy Cross Sullivan's Island back in the early 2000s. I was reminiscing with Linda Selby about it just now, wherever she is. And uh, when it was announced then that there was going to be a second campus, Melissa and I were there at the Holy Cross Daniel Island groundbreaking in 2005. I have the photos to prove it in my office. And we worshiped at the Daniel Island campus for the first two years of its existence until we were called away in 2008 to work at Camp St. Christopher and to worship at Church of Our Savior on John's Island. 
But even in those two years, those first two years, I could already see the potential for the campus model being a great way to launch or plant new churches, something I shared with the church leadership at the time. To have a campus established with the help of an already established mother church with all the strength that offers, but then to launch it out after a few years for the sake of spiritual and numerical growth once it was ready to stand on its own two feet. Launching would enable such things as better leadership development, better continuity of leadership, clarity of leadership, better opportunities for church planting, better care for church members, easier adaptation to local culture, greater connection to the diocese, and better connection between the pastor and the lay people, and more. There was just one problem. This wasn't the vision of the leadership at the time. And so it was kept as a campus, and then plans for a third campus were made and finally realized in Ion. But all the time, as I watched from afar, from Johns Island and then seminary in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, and finally from downtown Charleston, where I served as associate rector at our Darsen Cathedral, I still saw the potential if the campus was allowed to come of age and be released. And so one day in 2015, when our former rector, Chris Warner, called me and asked me to consider a call to come serve as the campus pastor at Holy Cross Daniel Island, I leapt at the chance. But not before I shared these thoughts with him and asked if he was open to the campus launch and release. And he told me he was, but that due to the nature of our debt, it would take time. But that was good enough for me. And so over these last seven or eight years, Chris and I have talked and prayed in our monthly meetings about when the right time would be. And then at the beginning of 2022, things lined up, and so we began a process of discernment to make sure that we weren't stepping out ahead of God's timing. Which brings us to a recent uh, a timeline. Let's flip on to the next slide, if you would. So in February to April of 2022, there was an initial period of discernment, prayer, and fasting, which the vestry took on as we prayed over various things, including possible launch. At the end of that time, it was concluded that there should be a little more research, but there seemed to be a yes that God was calling the DI campus to launch. And so a release committee was formed, and we had feasibility discussions. Well, at the end of that time, we presented our report, and in July and August, the vestry discussed and unanimously agreed to approve that launch. And so in September 2022, uh, I announced this and Chris announced this at the different campuses uh, and to the whole church. Well, in October 2022, we established a launch committee and various people were invited to be a part of that. Flip on to the next slide. You see our team there. We have Eddie Schroeder, our director of ops um, for, the, for both campuses. We have Marlo Green, who is our his school um, executive director. We've got David Rogers. That's not David Rogers, but uh, the, someone who looks no, nothing like him either. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, he's a Daniel Iron campus member. We have Carl Whist, we have, um, who is on our vestry. Chris Hamlin, who's our treasurer and is on our vestry. We have Lisa Barrington as well, who worships in our nine o'clock, is on our altar guild. And we have Rusty Seymour as well, who has been very involved in our life group ministry during his time at our campus. And so carrying on, next slide. Uh, Feb next slide again. Hold on. There it is. Sorry, back one. You're right. <laughs> January 23. Um, can you go back one? Sorry, Eddie. Um, 
Where are we? November 2022, the first meeting of the launch committee and a delegation of subcommittee leadership. So each of those folks was encouraged to lead a subcommittee over different areas that need to be overseen. And then in December, we had our second meeting and first meetings of our subcommittees. And then this past month, we had the first visit of a church consultant. It was discerned that we would like to have help with this process. And so uh, we brought in a guy called Jim Pace from Discerning Partners to help us with our vision, our values, and a church assessment that we'll do soon. And then we also had our third launch committee meeting. Moving on, in March 2023, we'll have that church assessment, which will be a week long, where Jim will come in and interview various members of the church. Uh, and the launch committee will continue to meet monthly, as will the subcommittees. In April 23, the church assessment report will be delivered with follow-up suggestions given. In the summer of 2023, we'll share proposed bylaws with the diocese and a draft vision and values for our future church, and new staff roles will be um, somewhat assigned then. Fall 23, we'll see the incorporation of Holy Cross Daniel Island and proposed bylaws submitted to the diocese for final review, vision and values finalized. Winter to 2023, quick claim transferred to Holy Cross Daniel Arms and a budget finalized for 24 and new vestry members selected for a future Daniel Arms vestry. And then in spring of 24, Holy Cross will, God willing, be welcomed as a parish into the Anglican Diocese of South Carolina and there'll be an installation of the rector, who God willing will be me, and a building, <laughs> we'll see, you never know folks. Lots has changed in the last eight months at Holy Cross. Uh, there'll be um, a building expansion plan finalized as well, hopefully. That's part of our um, plan for growth is we need more classrooms. Our preschool is bursting at the seams. We've got 60-plus kids on the wait list, and it keeps growing, and we have no room for them. We've even put a classroom in our parish hall during the week, uh, and yet still we have no room. So we believe that's a gospel opportunity that we want to follow up on. And then in summer 24, our his school, uh, the two schools will separate at that stage at the end of the school year. So that's where we're heading. Um, God willing, that's an approximate timeline. I give that to you so that you have some idea of what might be in store. And there are some questions you might have on your mind. One of them that someone asked recently was, will this definitely happen? Yes. This has been decided by our clergy and the rector and the bishop and the vestry, sorry, and the, the bishop is on board and given his blessing and our search process for a new rector is shaped by this decision also. It will happen. Also, what will the finances look like and are we financially viable as two churches? We are close to having a better picture of this, but one thing is already clear. This is an area where the Daniel Island campus will need to grow up. It can no longer rely on mom and dad to pay the health insurance, you know, the car insurance, the family cell phone plan, etc. However, as we did our initial study last summer, the answer was that it was financially viable and will no longer be considered a large church in our diocese, but we'll still have two healthy medium-sized churches and have the ability to operate with healthy staff teams as well. Will this impact the quality of what we're able to offer? No. While it may mean we are a less staff-led church needing greater leadership, I don't see that as a bad thing. This will enable us to truly become the body of Christ using the gifts and talents that we've all been given. 
Will each church feel different? I don't think so, or at least not because of our launch and the launch of Sullivan's Island. They'll still feel very much like Holy Cross, a place with joyful worship, a place with excellent preaching, a place where newcomers are warmly welcomed, a place where you quickly feel like you belong, a place with a desire to share the gospel, and a place that seeks to make disciples that make disciples. Will we still see each other? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some things we do together for the sake of fellowship and more. Will the, what will the Daniel Iron uh, Church's name be? We don't know yet. While one friend did suggest Holy Cross. <laughs> or even Holiest Cross. <laughs> we just don't know. This is a discussion we're yet to have and one that will be had once we discern our vision and our values. And then finally, what can I do to help? The number one thing is to add this launch to your daily prayers if you haven't done so already, but also to um, the prayers for the search for a new rector for Sullivan's Island and for the future of Holy Cross in general. The future is bright if we will seek God's will and not our own. It's what Darren's alluding to with abiding in him and if we'll trust him in this season of change. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jonathan. Could I have all the members of the... Jonathan, don't go away yet. All the members of the launch committee, come on forward. And Pat Kelly, would you please come on up and we're going to pray over them. I think, we should, I think we should call him Slowier Cross. <laughs> Just invite everybody to bow your heads or hold out a hand to, to uh, bless these, these men and women. Uh, let us pray for Holier Cross, Lord. <laughs> uh, um, Lord, we want to just ask you to bless them, the launch committee, Jonathan, Eddie, Chris, Rusty, Lisa, Marlo, David. Uh, we want to thank you for them and their service. We want to ask you to pour out your blessings on them, your provision on them. Ask you to guide them and send them out to be fishers of men and women. Pour out your mercies and your miracles on them. Let them make pounds of good work, Lord. As you prune them from Sullivan's Island, let them abound and be fruitful moving forward on Daniel Island. Keep them safe, Lord. Thank you for giving them to us and anointing them. We pray your blessings over them and their families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. All right. So for those of you not keeping track, um, last October... Chris was called uh, to be the bishop of the Diocese of Mid-Atlantic. Uh, he'll be consecrated in that role uh, here in two weeks. Uh, so at that time, as that happened, the vestry, we started praying over the new rector search process. In December, we met with the bishop uh, and with his canon, Jim Lewis, who leads the process, and they shared with us what the diocese process was. The vestry uh, voted uh, for the initial leaders of the search committee, and we came with Sue Cuthbert and Lee McCarter to take that effort on. Uh, 
so I would ask Lee and Sue to come on up. Uh, and the, we also appointed other members of that team. Uh, and those other members are, and I'd ask you to stand. And we're going to have you come up at the end to get prayed over as well, but we'll have you stand right now. So Sue Cuthbert, Lee McCarter, Maria Filosa. Come on, stand up. You can do it. Uh, Ryan Heineman, Mike Peterson, Jay Reigert, Stephanie Shahid, Tex Small, and Frank Taylor. Uh, would we just give them a hand a round of applause for what they're going to do? <laughs> Lee and Sue, would you come on up and give us an update, please? They wanted to do this update today, but I told them they had to do it tonight so you all would come. All right, so we're going to tag team through this, but uh, I'm going to share a story a little bit first. And that is as follows. So when the Festry asked me and Sue to get into this, Yep, sure. Is that better? When the vestry suckered me into this, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, when they asked me to do this, I said, man, this isn't going to be a problem. I said, that should be a slam dunk. I didn't, never even really met Sue. I knew her from church here. Right? But I said, shoot, made decisions, tens of millions of dollars of work, hired God knows how many people through my career. How difficult could it be to hire the new rector? Posted in Indeed, interview five people, and they're in the job, right? <laughs> Right? Then I lived and learned a little bit on that, that when we met with the bishop. But then I had another second experience, which is actually, in, in seriousness, was much more profound. And I don't know if Sue's going to remember this. I'm going to put her on the spot. I said, Sue, we ought to get together. I'm a face-to-face -face type of person, right? I said, we need to get eyeball to eyeball and talk about this. She said, okay. I said, so do you want to meet at the church? She said, come meet at my office. I said, fair enough. So she told me where her office is at the Lamb Institute, and I go over there and I shut the door. Do you remember what she said? She said, Lee, before we do anything, we're going to pray. Pray, <laughs> right? So I'd like her to talk a little bit about what she schooled me on in that process. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I have come to know the Lord most intimately recently through prayer. Um, he has rescued me from so many different circumstances and situations in my prayer life. And so when we had the opportunity to come together, um, we decided that we would seek the Lord. We would just seek his face and ask him a question. And by seeking his face and asking him a question, we would trust that the next thought that came to our mind was from God himself. And so we did. And so we want to ask you to join us in that process as we seek the Lord's face and we seek the face of our next rector here at the Church of the Holy Cross. Um, Matthew 7, 7 through 8 is a guiding verse for us, and I would ask that you pray it as often as possible when you pray daily um, for our rector, next rector. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And then in case you didn't get that, he repeats himself. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. This is a promise from our Lord that he will fulfill his purposes for the Church of the Holy Cross if we will seek him in prayer. So uh, as Darren had said, we met with uh, the bishop and they laid out a process, which we're going to go to the next slide if we can. And the process is up on the screen. 
And the first thing it talked about was, hey, we need to get a committee together to, to work down the path uh, towards completing this process. And so you met the members of the committee. But I want to ask you, who are the extended members of the committee who is seeking to find the next rector? Who is it? Raise your hand if you're going to be helping. Right? Right, because everybody's going to get an assignment tonight uh, when they leave, and we're going to ask for your help. We desperately need your help. Because without all of us, guess what? We're not going to be successful, right? We have the, the search committee. You know, we meet, we've met every Tuesday night, and if you look, uh, we're in the congregational input and feedback section of our process. So there's going to be a survey that's going to go out on Wednesday via email. And we're asking you guys to fill out that survey. If you look across this process here, the survey and the Paris profile, the next steps we are in the process, this process takes about nine to 12 months to complete. Paul's been saying he hopes he'd get it done in six months, but uh, it takes nine to 12 months to get it complete. We're gonna do our best to communicate our status on a frequent basis. We were out in front of the congregation, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, we have a web page that's up out there that Jessica has put together. Thank you, Jessica, wherever you are. Thank you very much. Done an awesome job. She's helping us with a survey. Uh, so we're leaning on resources internally, but the resources we really need to lean on are sitting in this room. Okay. So we're going to try to guide the process, as uh, Sue so eloquently said at the beginning, to find the person that he has already chosen. The steps are up there on the board. It's going to take us, like I said, 9 to 12 months. If it gets done sooner, fine. Um, but what our role on the search committee is to identify some candidates and make recommendations to the vestry and to the bishop who ultimately makes the decision in the process. So the search committee doesn't make a final decision on this. We're steering a boat, if you will, down the rapids and trying to find the next rector. That's our role. We're going to be very intentional about it. We're going to communicate, communicate, communicate. But I'm going to ask you guys, if you are not hearing, right? if you're not, if we're wondering what's going on, don't make it up. Just ask somebody that's on the search committee. Ask at the Sunday sessions. I'm at church most Sundays. We're all at church most Sundays. Right? Just ask. Right? It's our process. It's not the search committee's process. It's Holy Cross's process. Okay. That's it. Awesome. Could I get the search committee folks to come on up, please? And Chris Hamlin, come on up, and I'm going to ask you to pray over them. Dear Lord, I ask that you look after this group, that you guide them, that you take them by the hand, and that you help them to walk with you, Lord, not ahead, not behind, but walk with you as you guide them to the person you have selected to be the next rector here, Lord. We know that you have got him picked out already, and I pray that you just guide this group there, Lord. That's all I've got, Lord. Thank you so much for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So now we're going to thank you, Chris and Lee and Sue. Uh, at this time, I would ask that uh, we start passing out the annual report booklets, please.
while folks are passing those out, uh, let me first uh, commend those who helped long and hard putting this report together. There are lots of hands involved, but I particularly want to recognize Jessica Willis, uh, our communications director, and her team of volunteer photographers and editors. Thank you to everyone who shared your stories in the annual report. Stories that will allow us to remember how God's grace and love abounded in this season as we abide with him and continue to grow in the coming year. Now we're going to move on to the requirements for voice and vote. According to the Constitution of the Church of the Holy Cross, any communicant 18 years or older may have voice and vote in elections. Any communicant in good standing, 18 or older, shall be eligible to be selected for the vestry. According to the Diocese of South Carolina, a communicant in good standing is defined as someone who is faithful in their attendance in church, faithful in their prayers, and faithful in their financial support of the parish. At this time, I'll now appoint our tellers for the evening. These persons will count votes if we need them and then report back to me with a total. To serve as our tellers, I hereby appoint Elizabeth Tessa, Jennifer Baskin, and Melissa Bennett. All right, Jessica Willis, then, you're, you get it. Uh, the first order of business I'd like to address is approving the minutes of our last annual meeting. Uh, Wow. I told you you'd have a tough time beating him. Uh, there is a motion on floor that we dispense with the reading of the minutes by filing them by title. Any further discussion of that of this motion? I had a second over here. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Thank you. All right, uh, next selection we're going to consider is for the position of treasurer. Chris Hamlin has served as treasurer. This young man standing to my left has served as treasurer for two years, and he has consented to serve in this capacity again. Chris and our comptroller, Elizabeth Tessa, have worked very well together, and the staff and I have high confidence in Chris's abilities. I am strongly in favor of his continuing to serve as our treasurer. I will be happy to entertain a motion that Chris be selected as treasurer by acclamation. So moved. Is there a second? second? Discussion? All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Thank you. And Chris, hey, why don't you come up and talk about the budget? Well, thank y'all very much. Um, so tonight I want to review the financial information for the past year and share the 2023 budget that the vestry has put together. Uh, 2022 was a year that challenged us in many ways. Um, but more importantly, it allowed us to watch as our Lord stepped in and showed his abounding love to us over and over again. I'm happy to share with you that the Church of the Holy Cross was blessed to finish the year with a small gain of $798. Right? I mean, it's a whole lot better than a negative number. Um, Vestry has selected to reserve this gain as part of our 2023 Capital Projects Fund. 
several factors that affected our financials that I'd like to share with you. Um, our 2022 budget had predicted a small increase in both pledge and plate. Unfortunately, it fell short on both categories. Uh, plate by just a little bit, pledge by almost 20%. Um, a lot of that was due to some longstanding members that passed away or moved away. Um, as we saw this happening, Vestry, the staff, the clergy, spent a lot of time working on lowering our expenses, controlling costs, doing what we could. Um, but we knew we had a huge hurdle to overcome. Um, so in the late spring, early summer, um, we were absolutely blown away by God jumping into the middle of it. Um, the, his school team had applied for a large grant. We really didn't think it was gonna happen, but it did, it came through, it came through very big. Um, that's absolutely right. Um, that grant not only allowed us to continue operating norm normally, but paid for the new playground equipment you've seen, for some new security systems that you've seen, the cameras that you may not see, probably shouldn't see. Um, <laughs> he really, he just blessed us so greatly. It was wonderful to watch. Um, so as you see in our annual report, the 2023 budget is balanced and reflects a small gain in um, uh, plate, and a decrease in pledge. Pledge matches what we have been given card-wise to date. So if you would like to see our budget go up, you can still submit a card. Just give Elizabeth a call, she'll be happy to add you to it. Um, we also had a small increase in uh, his school income from a tuition increase. Um, the vestry has also funded a couple of things that are important. One was the search committee, the rector search committee, and the DI launch committee. Both those things have been fully funded for this coming year. Um, as you may remember from last year's report, we refinanced the mortgage on the buildings at the end of 21. This allowed us to forego the annual payment that was due at the beginning of 22. Thanks to your generous contributions, we completed the 2023 principal payment of $232,347 in December of, the past, of this past year. There are only nine annual payments left to take care of this thing, y'all. Nine left. That, that's a woo, yeah, that's right. Um, Looking ahead to the next year's payment, you've already contributed $45,000 towards it. Uh, the vestry has allocated $48,000. So we're looking at about 140 left to raise by February of next year. Once that payment has been made, the balance of the, lo the loan will be under $2 million, which is fantastic. If you have any questions about our church financials, please let me know and I or Elizabeth will be happy to sit with you um, and talk through whatever questions you might have. Um, one note, the annual giving statements, if you are looking for them, they're a little delayed this year. We're a little tied up in January, so we could be expecting them in the next couple of weeks. If you need it sooner, please send Elizabeth an email and she'll get it back to you um, almost immediately. Um, let me close with the following scripture. While contemplating these verses, I'd like to ask that you prayerfully consider how you can best financially support our church in the coming year. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I did not mention, uh, so canonically, the budget, the vestry approves the budget and that, that is done, so we are all set. Any other questions? Awesome.